Walgreens says it is closing another five of its San Francisco locations, citing the ongoing ramping, rampant, I should say, shoplifting rings that are plaguing the city. CNN's Dan Simon is live in San Francisco with more. This is a real problem, Dan. Well, hi, John. This is one of the Walgreens stores that will be closing down. It is a terrible blow for neighbors who rely on this store for their medications. As we have seen, these organized crime rings are quite sophisticated. Boxes and boxes of over-the-counter drugs. It looks like a warehouse distribution center for medicine. In reality, it's a warehouse full of stolen goods. What you're looking at is not petty shoplifting. What you're looking at is an organized criminal ring. Law enforcement making this bus last year in San Mateo, California, just outside of San Francisco. These videos offering a glimpse inside the sophistication of organized shoplifting rings. San Francisco in epicenter. So much so that Walgreens says it will soon be closing five of its stores here. That in addition to the 17 stores the retailer had previously shuttered in the past few years. This is a real blow to San Francisco. It's a blow to the merchants. It's a blow to our reputation as a city. It begins with something like this. A thief hurriedly grabbing items off store shelves. This viral video captured last year at a San Francisco Walgreens in plain view of a security guard. The store among those being shut down. You have street level thieves who are selling to boosters who are then selling to larger syndicates who are building million dollar businesses selling stolen product. It's not something that is limited to San Francisco. It's happening all over the country. San Francisco is a is a focal point now. Jason Brewer of the Retail Industry Leaders Association says the stolen goods charges for anyone who steals less than a thousand dollars worth of stuff and I, I thought it was interesting that the guy who's in charge of the retail industry in America that association he says it's not just to San Francisco it's nationwide um, I want you to think about the impact that that has on the community I mean everybody from the guy who delivers bread to Walgreens to the little old lady who lives up on the third floor two blocks down who gets her medicine from that Walgreens. I mean, it affects the whole community. And the CEO of, of Walgreens, I mean, that had to be a hard decision. You know, do we shut down? Who do we shut down? How many do we shut down? And you know, if you see a, a building boarded up, I mean, it tells something about the community. I mean, it is a testimony. I want us to take that. And I want us to kind of do this illustration. Let's say the Walgreens is the church. Our CEO is Jesus. And the antagonist in the story would be uh, you and me. Would Jesus ever shudder, not a Walgreens, but would he ever shudder a church? Would Jesus ever shut the doors, put Ichabod over, over the door? You know, the glory's no longer here. Well, the truth of the matter is, I can tell you seven churches by name this morning that we're going to be looking at in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, that Jesus did shutter their doors. I could tell you, I could show you half a dozen churches within a 30-mile a drive of this church that is clo they're closed. Uh, Blair has a beautiful little old church up there. I can't imagine the people in that church 100 years ago thinking, oh, we'll be here 100 years from now. Well, baby, they're not. So the idea of churches closing and being shuttered, well, that's just true. And for the last 2,000 years, hundreds of thousands of churches have been shuttered. Church, I ask you this question. Do you think Jesus would 
shutter this church? Do you think he would shutter First United Methodist Church? A Christian church? Family Worship Center, all of them, absolutely. So what's that mean for us? Because we're getting ready to dive into the first part of this Revelation series where it talks to the seven churches specifically, those Walgreens stewards, if you will, if that helps you a little bit. Revelation 1, 10, 10 11, and 19, on the Lord's day, John says, I was in the Spirit and I heard behind me a voice. And we've, we've talked about this loud like a trumpet. Which said, write on the scroll what you're about to see and send it to these seven churches. They were real churches. They were literal churches. They were churches that were in their community. Write them to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Write, therefore, what you've seen. Now, what, they, what John has seen is that Jesus appeared to him uh, in the vision and said, dude, I'm coming back. I am alive, I was dead, but I'm alive, and I'm alive forevermore, and I will come back. So that's what he's seen so far. Then the, the text says, what is now? Well, the what is now part are those seven churches. Ephesus, Pergamum, Smyrna, Thyatira, all of those churches. That's what's going on now, because he's about to get Revelation 2 and 3. That's the letters. And what will soon take place, that's when we're going to look past Revelation 3, where we talk about the mark of the beast, where we talk about... Uh, the Armageddon, where we talk about the great white throne judgment. So we're saying what was, what's now, and what's later. And if I could title this message, it would be now and later. So, um, y'all, today we're going to start by looking at the first four churches that Jesus calls out by name. Ephesians, I'm sorry, Revelation 2.1, he says, To the angel of the church at Ephesus, write this. 2.8, to the angel of the church at Smyrna, write this. In 2.12, to the angel of the church at Pergamum, write this. And then you go down to verse 18, write this to the church at Thyatira, write this. And every time these things are mentioned, when we talked about the appearance of Jesus last week with the white wool hair and the, the, uh, the bronze feet and the golden sash and the white robe, priestly robe, uh, the face shining and the eyes burning and the two-edged sword come out of his mouth. Every time Jesus gives a letter, there's a little bit more that points back to that description because he wants them to know that this is your CA, your CEO speaking. This is the one who has the ability to shutter your church, if you will. And what I would like to do, I, I, I want you to, uh, to look at these churches today because there's consequences for every single one of them. Every single one of them dropped the ball, and there were consequences. So uh, let's, let's dig right in. Let's start with Ephesus. Let me tell you, and, and what I see in this text is basically he says, this is what you're doing right. He tells them what they're doing right. And then he says, this is where you're dropping the ball, and this is how you change. So in my mind, the way I'm going to present this is, if you can imagine Jesus, the, the bridegroom, the, the husband, going to the church, his bride, saying, I love you, and I can't wait to marry you, but... I would really like for you to work on some things. So, let's, let's see what the bridegroom has to say for, for Ephesus, what's going on. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. The Bible says, To the angel of the church uh, of Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Once again, that whole idea of Jesus walking in the lampstands. The lampstands are the churches. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. If you think about uh, what, what Paul wrote in Ephesians to this very same church, um, the Bible says in Ephesians, Jane, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to make some adjustments here. This is the same church that Paul said in Ephesus chapter 2, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. Now, I want to take you right back here to verse 2 in Revelation chapter 2. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your what? 
Jesus is fully aware of what's going on in that church. Paul said it back in Ephesians 2 that, hey, God made you for good works. And we're seeing confirmation in Revelation 2. Jesus said, oh, yeah, what he wrote, yeah, I said that, I meant that. I'm watching what you're doing. Go to verse uh, 3. You have preserved and you have endured hardships for my name and you've not grown weary. Okay, so far so good. Man, we can, we can, we can celebrate that. Uh, Ephesus was an economic center. It was a religious center for that part of the Asia Minor at that time. Um, Ephesus had one of the great eight wonders of the ancient world. It was called the Temple to Artemis. Um, if you were Roman, you called it the Temple of Diana. It was an empowering woman, fig- uh, female figure. If you're familiar with Wonder Woman, the mythos of Wonder Woman comes from the Temple of Artemis and Diana. Um, it, was, it was an incredible city. It was a huge city. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes to that same church I already told you about. I don't have to go back to my notes for that. And what Jesus is saying here is, guys, I see everything you're doing, and it's pretty good. I see everything you're doing. You've got hard work. You've got perseverance. And what I draw away from this is that, and I hate to, to beat this same drum, but it's going to happen. Good or bad, right or wrong, Jesus was aware of everything that was going on in that church. He said, dude, I'm, I, I know what you're going through, and I see it, and you guys have been banging it. Let's talk a little bit about Smyrna. To the church at Smyrna, look at verse 8 through 11. The Bible says, to the church at Smyrna, write this. And by the way, Smyrna is the only church that Jesus didn't say, this I have against you. Primarily, I believe it's because the people in this church were hungry, they were poor, and they were getting the snot tore out of them because there was incredible persecution in Smyrna. Uh, there were fact, there were 10 uh, historic persecutions against the church and Christians. And in Smyrna, if you were a Christian... Um, if I, was, uh, if, I was, if I had a factory, I wouldn't hire you because you're a Christian. Or if you were already working on the floor, I wouldn't advance you because you're a Christian. You, you wouldn't be uh, promoted. And so people are Christians in this town. They can't get jobs. You don't have a job. You know what you used to do? You went hungry. This was a poor church with poor people in a horrible situation. Jesus is saying, man, your neighborhood ain't no good. But uh, look what the Bible says. To the angel of the church at Smyrna, these are the words of him who are the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your affliction and your poverty, yet you are rich. I can imagine when Jesus said that to those people, they don't have two nickels to rub together to make a dime. Are you crazy? We're rich? Are you out of your mind? We, 50% of our congregation is unemployed. Church owes rent this month, and we don't have the money for it. Moshe lost his job down at the factory. We don't know how his family's going to be fed. And then Jesus says, but you guys are rich. Now, if I was this church, I would be thinking, what are you talking about? But the reason why Jesus could say that is because Jesus wasn't looking at the first bank of Smyrna's account. He was looking at the bank account of heaven. This is what the book of Matthew says. He who has Matthew. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where they can erode away or may be stolen. Store them up in another bank account. Where does he say storing them at? Jesus was saying, hey, I know you're broke is a joke right now. But you want to see the interest that's occurring up here. You are rich and you don't even know it. You've got more than, than Solomon ever had. You've got it. You're rich. We're going to go a little bit further. I know that the I know that the, uh, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but they are the synagogue of Satan. Even the Jews couldn't stand them. Community and the culture couldn't stand the church. They couldn't stand Christians. Sound familiar? 
Don't be afraid about what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Remember how many persecutions I told you they had? Ten. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I'll give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. The second death is hell. Everybody's going to go through the first death unless you're raptured. The second death is if you die not receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior, not confessing that you're a sin, uh, not confessing that you're a sinner, not professing faith in Jesus. I-, I love you enough to tell you this: you will bust hell wide open. But the good news is this: Jesus has done all that work on Calvary to show you grace and mercy. So the only thing you do is fall in love with Him. Smyrna, bad shape, bad neighborhood. They were a poor church, poor people going through hell. And what, what's going on in Smyrna is incredible. And I want to, I'm going to teach you a little bit. Everybody get that piece of petrified buffalo dung? I hope nobody tried to eat it. Uh, Bob Goldsmith did last night, but I don't want to mention him by name. Uh, Smyrna was a, 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 an incredible city, Very, a lot of wealth, a lot of, uh, it was a center of politics and a center of arts. It was, it, it's where you went, man. It, it was the center of government. It had all the morality of Washington, D.C. and all the hometown charm of Chicago. That's, that was Smyrna, all right? Smyrna was known for myrrh. In fact, if you look at the word Smyrna, myrrh is kind of the root word. Myrrh is a Hebrew word, which means bitter. Okay, preach. Uh, so what? Um, myrrh is made from a little plant. It's covered with thorns. It grows in rocky, dry uh, desert regions. And the way that it's made is that this tree dresser will take a hammer or a hatchet or a, a machete, and he or she will start hitting that tree on those thorns. And the life sap of that tree begins to to come out of that wound and it begins to ossify and solidify it gets hard and once it becomes hard they'll come by with that knife and they'll they'll knock it off and put it in a bucket and that's myrrh and Jesus was saying Smyrna you're about to go through a time where you're going to have the fire beat out of you You're going to feel persecuted. The devil's even going to put some of you in chains. It's going to hurt. But what's going to happen is you go through this. There will be a heaven that comes out of your hell. There will be a liberty that comes out of your chains. There will be something very sweet that comes out of your suffering. The end result will be worth it. Now here's the amazing thing. You smell this and it's like, big deal. It smells like the outside. The only way the freak... The only way the fragrance is released in the incense you have is if you burn it. That's what he's telling the church at Smyrna. You're going to go through some stuff, but at the end, you're going to be amazed at what it smells like. You're going to be amazed at the beauty. You're going to be amazed at the peace. You're going to be amazed at what happens. Let's look at Pergamum, verse 12 and 13. To the angel of the church of Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has a sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live. Man, aren't you glad Jesus knows where you live? That's marinated in my heart all week. You live where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You do not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas. Church, say Antipas. Antipas was the first bishop or pastor of Pergamum. 
His name was Artemis. And what Artemis did is the Roman emperor Nero said, you've got to bow to me. If you don't bow to me, I'm going to kill you. Well, the pastor of the church said, baby, I ain't going to do that. So sure enough, what they did is they took a hollowed out bronze bull. And they would stick somebody in there who refused to refute their faith in Jesus or walk back their faith in Jesus. Um, They put the pastor inside this bronze bull, tied him up, hands and feet. Then somebody lit a fire underneath it. You know what would have stopped that? Okay, I'm no longer a Christian. If he just would have walked back his faith. That's the days. That's the days that Jesus is talking about. Jesus knew what was going on in that church and it was not good. I know where you live. Church, none of the sorrows or sufferings of Pergamum went without notice. When that church lost their pastor, Jesus heard every prayer and saw every tear that fell. He knew what they were going through and He noticed their obedience in the face of the critical time. He knew their obedience in the face of the uh, cancel culture. He understood their obedience in it all. Let's look at Thyatira. And to the angel of the church at Thyatira, verse 18 and 19. To the angel of the church at Thyatira, right. These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like burning fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did when. Is that now up on the screen? Okay, I feel horrible. I'm sorry. Uh, verse 8, 19, uh, it says, then what you did at first. Church. The Bible, the uh, Living Bible puts it like this. I'm aware of all your good deeds, your kindness to the poor, your gifts and service to them. Also, I know your love and faith and patience, and I can see your constant improvement in all these things. Church, I'm going to be honest with you. This is the particular passage that defines CFBC for me. For me. Because I think this church is banging on helping the poor, giving gifts of service, loving the community, having faith in God, persevering, all kinds of things. And Jesus knew what was going on in that church, in Thyatira and church. He knows what's going on at CFBC. Um, to me, when I go to a ball game, not that I go very often, A, I do prefer those boxes that have all the brisket. That's eh, pretty good. Uh, but if I'm not up in the box on the brisket, with the brisket, I would want to be behind home plate. I think that's where all the action takes place. Some people might prefer the end of first or third. Uh, but man, behind home plate, you see it all. Church, I, I want you to know that Jesus is in the ballpark. And although he owns the team and he can sit up in the owner's box if he wants to, I believe he's sitting behind home plate so we can see what all the players do. And if you look behind, if you look behind home plate and you see Jesus sitting in the seat behind home plate, you'd also notice that he has a stat book. And he's keeping track of what churches are doing. And I'm not telling you this, you know, oh, Jesus is a boogeyman, blah, blah, blah. I'm just wanting you to be aware that, that Jesus knows what you and I are doing as Christians. He knows what the church is doing as a body of believers. And if you think for one moment that Jesus no longer does that, then you're saying that God changes. And God doesn't change. He is immutable. So if he watched then, I've got to assume that he's watching today in the owner's box keeping stats these four churches all received a good word this man i know what you're doing but we're going to go here and we're going to see what the savior says i love you and i can't wait to marry you but there's some things that i'd like for you to work on let's look at revelation chapter 2 verse 4 4 through, uh, 4 through 7 and we're going back in the same order the only thing we're not going to talk about is smyrna because smyrna didn't have anything against them i think that's because 
Jesus knew that they were going to go through hell. There's going to be people who killed, died. And that's why I don't think he said that. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 through 7. The Bible says, Yet I hold this against you, Ephesus. You forsaking your what? Your first love. And by the way, when you became a Christian, that was the first thing you did. You didn't join a church. You didn't get in the water. You didn't join a Sunday school class. You fell in love with Jesus. That was the first thing. Falling in love with Him. Yet I hold this against you, you forsaking your first love. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Remember how much you used to be in love of me. And, and uh, Ephesus was a church that started out of a two-year revival in Acts chapter 19. This was a church that had been birthed out of revival fire. And now their heart had waxed cold. And Jesus noticed it. Um, back to the text. Repent and do the things you did at first. What did they do at first? They loved Him. They repented and loved Him. If you do not repent... I will come to you and I will, I will remove your lampstand from its place. In another way, he's saying, I will shutter your doors. I will shut you down. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. That was a, 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 a bad doctrine group in the church. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. Church, say tree of life. <sighs> I looked at that, and I must have read it, I don't know, my life, maybe a thousand times. What do you think the, what do you think the tree of life reference is, is about? Where do you see the tree of life at in the Bible? Okay, I want you to remember this. This is the last book of the Bible, and Jesus is taking a half-court shot. All the way back into Genesis. This is what the Bible says in Genesis. Adam and Eve had fallen out of favor with God. They'd sinned, just like you and me. And this is what he took away from them. This is what sin broke in Genesis. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, I'm sorry, Genesis 3, after he drove man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming, flashing, uh, a, a, a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the what? You remember what the reward was for Ephesus? If you repent and fall back in love with me, I will give you access to what I stopped Adam and Eve from doing. I will remove the curse so we can have fellowship, so we can have intimacy. It will be on, not in the paradise of Garden of Eden, but in the paradise of heaven. And church, here's the thing. When, when Jesus talked about you've lost your first love, you've lost your first love. And to me, this is the most romantic of all of the letters. Because, man, most of us know what it's like to feel to be in love. And if you've ever been in love and somebody makes a pass at you, it can be tempting. You're in love, but when somebody says something just right. Preach, why did you say that? Because, Christian, your heart belongs to Jesus. And I don't know about you, but the world makes a pass at my heart all the time. Tells me things it has no business saying. And what the Word of God is telling them and us to do is this. Tell the, one, tell the world that's making a pass at your heart, my heart belongs to another. I'm spoken for. I'm in love with the Son of God. Let's go on. Pergamum, uh, verse 14 through 17, the Bible says, y'all okay? Y'all ain't talking to me much, so I'm just assuming you had a tired 
He had a hard, night, a hard time at the fall fest. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, Pergamum. You have people there who hold to the teachings of Balaam, and I'm not going to unpack of all this, uh, who taught Balaam to entice the Israelites to sin, uh, to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have another cult there in your church called the Nicolaitans. Now, do you remember the, do you remember the church that dealt with the Nicolaitans? Ephesus. The group that Ephesus turned away, Pergamum took in. They were there. Not everybody, not everybody in the church went along with it, but they were there. Going a little bit further. Um, where am I at? Verse 14 or 6. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Okay, verse, uh, thank you, Mrs. Schaefer. Verse 15. Likewise, you have Nicolaitans. 16. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. Church, say hidden manna. All right. Jesus, far into the court. He's in the paint. He's going to take a shot down. This time, he doesn't, uh, this time he doesn't shoot for Genesis. This time he shoots for the second book of the Bible. Remember what that is? Exodus. Do you remember what fell from heaven while the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years? manna from heaven bread from heaven you know what jesus called himself he said i am the bread of life you know what the reward for that church was jesus said i will give you all of me i'll give you all of me you can have it all in this church they had two cults going not two cults two erroneous doctrine groups one was uh, uh, they called balaam the other one the nicolaitans now church this is what was going on those two groups they were different groups but they all had the same thing they were trying to zip together culture and their faith and you can never zip together your culture and your faith. They were messing around down at the temple with the orgies and sexual immorality. Then coming back in the church and saying, hey, it's all okay. And what Jesus was saying, you can't do that. And a church, to me, what this means to me is this. Inside of the church, if there are people or groups of people who have erroneous doctrine... Destructive doctrine. Doctrine that does not come from God, does not come from the Word of God. You do not listen to them. You do not put them in leadership. And if we were smart, we would remove them. Oh, preacher, I can't just believe you said that. Read the text. Read it. Now, we kind of tease about this, maybe. maybe. Maybe it's not necessarily a tease, but a flippant light way of taking it. Oh, it doesn't matter what church you go to, as long as you go to church. Let me, let me interject this to you. Jesus is concerned about what people who go to church believe. He's concerned about what we, what we know. He, he's concerned about our doctrine and our theology. If he wasn't, then why did he bring up this doctrine of Balaam? And why did he bring up this doctrine of the Nicolaitans? Uh, because Jesus cares about what we believe. And here's the thing, church. It's not about our tradition. It's about the topic of Scripture. These words are infallible, they're timeless, they're inerrant, they are the very word of God. So it matters what we believe. Now, not everyone in that church embraced those errors. But the church refused to remove those people who were in error. Removing toxic people from leadership or the community is scriptural. And it's essential to the health of the church. I said this last night and it kind of made sense. I've been a preacher for a while. And I can always tell you the quality or the level of somebody's commitment if their heart's right. It's not that I have, uh, that's just part of the job. 
Because you can put the wrong people in the right job and it turns out horrible. Or you can put the wrong people in the right job and it's bad. But this is what I found out. You want to know if somebody's commitment's real? See how they respond the first time you have to tell them no. And if they get upset and leave because you told them no, it wasn't about the kingdom. It was always about their kingdom. It was always about them. And sometimes when people make it about them instead of him, sometimes it's okay to let those people go. Sometimes it's okay to let those people go. If you have a problem with that, I love you. And I'm not asking anyone to leave. I don't, I'm not even talking. No, I, I, this is not a thing. But do you know why that church got in trouble? They didn't do anything about those people. They didn't censure them. They didn't shut them down. Oh, preacher, that ain't no fun. No kidding, that ain't no fun. But here's the thing. I'm much more concerned about pleasing him than pleasing me. The reward for their turning was that manna, Jesus himself. You remember pine your cabin? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Dude said the same thing every time we went in there. He would rattle off about 15 things that they're going to bring out to the table. And his last line was always this. You don't got to pick one, you get them all. Church, you don't pick what parts of Jesus you, you want. You get him all. You get his love, his grace, his forgiveness. But you also have his discipline and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And that's what happens. Church, as we looked at the churches today, we found that Ephesus is the loveless church. And they left their first love, and God said, repent, do the things you did at first. He said, fall back in love with me. We looked at Smyrna. That was a suffering church. He said, be, be faithful even to the point of death. Church, Jesus knows every struggle this church has had, every problem, every roadblock, every threat, every persecution. He knows he knows that it isn't easy. So he encourages us in the spirit. And by the way, you need to know something. The one that causes all the trouble in this church, he has a name. His name is the devil. And I got great news for you. The devil is not going to, I'm, God is not going to let the devil off on a technicality. The devil is not going to walk. This is what the Bible says. In fact, I'm going to jump ahead real quick. I'm going to make that shot. Revelation 20. I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the abyss and holding his, in his hand a great chain. He sees the dragon. Boy, aren't you glad that the devil's going to be in some changes? He's been throwing at you and me for a long time. He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil, who is Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, threw him in the abyss and locked him and sealed it over, kept him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand, year, uh, thousand years millennial reign of Jesus were ended. After that, he was set free for a short time. But let me tell you the rest of that story. That dude's put in the lake of fire for all of eternity. He's not going to walk. He's not going to get probation or parole. They're not going to let him out for... Uh, good time served or good behavior or time served. The dude's going down. 
Church, I need you to understand something. No matter what we go through, no matter what the devil does in our church or in our lives, you need to know that God is going to press charges. And we already know how that trial turns out. So church, as Jesus gives word to Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira, those words are for us too. Let us fall in love with him. When struggles come our way, let us know that there's something better coming. And when we see bad doctrine, false doctrine, doctrine that goes against the word of God, you need to know something. What we believe is important to the Father. Lord God, today, I want to thank you for the powerful word of, of your word. God, it's, it's like it just came off the printer this morning. Thank you, Lord, for speaking into us. And Lord, I pray that we would understand what you said to those churches, how it applies to us. As every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I just want you to take a moment. As every head bowed and every eye is closed, I just want you to take a moment. You know, if, if we were looking at your relationship with Jesus between now and when you first started, how does it look? Are you in love with him the way you used to be? Do you spend the time with him in that love letter called the Bible the way you used to? Are you in the habit of the spiritual discipline of prayer the way you used to be? Fall back in love with him. And here's the, here's the, here's the, here's the, the cinch pin for me. You fall back in love with him, I think everything else will take care of itself. Church, Holy Spirit, I pray that right now you would just begin to bring a conviction upon our hearts on how we need to uh, move our sails. And Lord, I pray if it's a, a fresh commitment to whatever, I pray that you would not let us leave this church house this morning until you have dealt with us and that commitment's been made. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Church, what I just did is I asked God to tell you, to tell us, what we need to do different when we leave here today. Something that came out of these four letters. With every head bowed, every eye closed. Would you be so bold and so brave. In as few as two words. But no more than 15. When you leave here today. What will you be doing differently? I'm just going to invite you. Just, just kind of a popcorn testimony type of thing. What will you be doing differently? Every head bowed, every eye closed. What will you be doing differently? Good and loud. Somebody. Somebody. Going to read your Bible more. Somebody else. More time in prayer. Somebody else. Amen. Somebody else. Amen. Be humble. Amen. Someone else. Somebody else needs to say something. 
If you don't, if you don't say it, you don't, you're only wrestling with the Holy Spirit right now. You don't say it, you're going to be miserable. Because when you release it to the atmosphere, when you release it to the atmosphere, it becomes a proclamation. Amen. Anyone else? Thank you, brother. Forgive. Forgive. Amen. Jesus. 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 There's just something Understanding of these letters that were written to the churches in Asia Minor. They have wealth, they have guidance, challenge for us today. So I appreciate you sticking with us on that. Ridge, thank you so much for the opening announcement video that was on point. Very good job. Uh, Bud, could I ask you to close up our service while me and mom go to the back and shake hands? Whatever. Thank you, buddy. Y'all, I have two tickets and a motel room. If you would like to go to the Jesus play with us in Branson on Friday. I think we're going to leave at 10 o'clock. I think we're going to leave at 10 because the show starts at 7.30. But if you would like to do that, we have two tickets, $60 a piece for the theater tickets. It's at the Sound and Light Theater down in Branson. And I think the motel room is like $85. We got a really good deal. Every room comes with its own fly swatter. It's going to be sweet. Uh, so, yeah, it's a Mike Fogerson special. Yeah. Uh, so if you would be interested in that, tell Miss Pam, uh, Pam or I, and we'll make sure that you get it. So we have two tickets in a motel room, all right? And if you really want to go and you can't afford it, let us know. We'll pop for you, okay? Love you guys. Thank you.